Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When was the last time you experienced great excitement in your life? And when was the last time you actually expressed that excitement openly? I would guess that for, for all of you, it was last Sunday. It was Easter, the resurrection of our Lord. It is the only time you can expect all Lutherans, young or old, to actually respond in church. <laughs> it is a time that leaves no doubt whatsoever as to what Lutherans believe. We believe in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a theory that I want to test on you today. It is simple, really. Here it goes. Christ is risen. I told you, we are in the Easter season, so this is so great. Today is one week after Easter. When I think about the disciples on that first evening of the resurrection, I don't see or feel any excitement at all from them about it. It is quite the disappointment. True, in John's Gospel, account of the resurrection, they had not yet seen Jesus, but they had been told about it. Mary Magdalene had announced it to them in the morning with great excitement, I have seen the Lord. She even told them what Jesus had said, but she didn't get any reaction from them, just silence. I wonder how she felt after she had made this great announcement to them and the response had simply been silence. It is fair to say that the disciples did not believe her. We can tell by what happened by the evening of that day. They had locked themselves behind closed doors in the house where they were staying. Why? Because of fear of the Jewish leaders who had schemed to get Jesus killed. They wielded power and influence even over Governor Pilate. The disciples being behind locked doors shows that all the predictions Jesus had made to them several times before his crucifixion had really not sank in. He had not only told them about his impending crucifixion, but also about his resurrection on the third day. It had happened just as he had said it would, and yet there they were behind locked doors. You'd like to be a fly on the wall to hear what conversations they were having behind those locked doors. Is the mob here in front of the house? Are we safe? Are they going to treat us the same way they treated Jesus? Did we really hear him say he would rise from the dead? This is the evening of the third day, and we have to be on our own? Perhaps you can think of, of questions you yourself might have concerning what was happening behind those locked doors. It is important to note that Peter and John themselves had run to the tomb early in the morning. Mary Magdalene had told them that he had gone to the tomb and Jesus was not there. They went inside the tomb and they did not find Jesus. They saw the linen cloths and the face cloth lying in the tomb by themselves, but not Jesus. And they had returned to the house they were staying and locked the doors behind them. We can say that the disciples, all of them, had their doubts as to whether or not Jesus had risen from the dead. 
but it's actually worse than simply doubting or not being sure. They were all, at this time, unbelievers. And that may sound harsh or, or incredible, that the disciples of all people would be unbelievers on the evening that Jesus had risen from the dead. But it is true. John has said that when they saw Jesus, when they saw the empty tomb, they believed. They believed. By giving the fact that they were behind those locked doors, even after the empty tomb and the witness of Mary Magdalene, it is not clear that they believed. They were so afraid. Jesus broke into that fear. He walked right through the locked doors as if there were no doors at all. He knew exactly what they needed at that moment. The most important thing that they needed was peace. So he said to them, peace be with you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. They were glad when they saw him. Seeing is believing had come true for them. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And then he commissioned them to carry on with his ministry on earth. He gave them what we call the office of the keys to forgive the sins of those who repent and to retain the sins of the unrepentant. After this short interaction, Jesus left. Thomas was not there when Jesus came. We don't know why he was not there. Perhaps he went on an errand for the rest of them to reduce the risk of people seeing all of them together and arresting them. Whatever it was, Thomas was a courageous one among them. He had exhibited courage before. When Jesus said he must go to Bethany to raise Lazarus back to life, and they were thinking that Jesus was going to walk right into his death, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Whatever Thomas, wherever Thomas went that made him miss Jesus' appearance, he came back and joined the other disciples behind the locked doors. When the disciples told him what had happened, he did not believe, and he laid down what standard he would accept as evidence that Jesus was indeed alive. That surprises a lot of people. With so many witnesses saying that they had seen Jesus, why would he doubt and not believe? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I would not believe. We don't know whether he made this specific demand because he was angry at being left out when Jesus appeared to the others, or that he just wanted proof that the person who showed himself to them was really Jesus. A week later, he was together with them when Jesus showed up again. You would notice, though, that the doors were still locked. The fears of the disciples had not gone away even after Jesus appeared to them the first time. So this second visit was as much for them as it was for Thomas. And Jesus offered him the opportunity to do what he had demanded. But Jesus also reprimanded him. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas then made the greatest confession about who Jesus is. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas has forever earned a nickname to his original nickname in the Bible. Back then, 
he was known as Didymus. Following this incident, he has become known as Doubting Thomas. 2,000 years and counting. It is quite possible that Thomas indeed just doubt what the other disciples had told him about Jesus appearing to them. Now, many people have praised doubt. One psychologist has written that doubt is one of the most glorious words in the English language and one of the best, most intelligent things a human mind can do. To doubt something is to be uncertain of belief or opinion, to deliberately suspend judgment and seek more information. In other words, to be a skeptic, to think critically before accepting an idea. What better evidence of human mental grandeur is there? I suppose he's right. Thomas is asking for evidence before he would believe that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead and appeared, had appeared to the other disciples in his absence. He wanted specific evidence. Thomas may seem to be in this weird place where he is alone asking for that evidence. But he was not really alone. The other disciples were looking for evidence too, though they did not verbalize it. That leads me to ask the question, should we be saying doubting Thomas or rather unbelieving disciples? It should be unbelieving disciples. Jesus really wanted Thomas to stop doubting and believe. Thomas was not simply doubting, he was unbelieving. He was also experiencing fear disguised as doubt. All the disciples were unbelieving because of fear. That too may be surprising, given that they had walked and talked and eaten and observed Jesus carry out a lot of miracles. Indeed, they themselves, with his blessing and empowerment, had carried out miracles of healings and casting out of demons. Seeing is believing. That is normal for us. Normal is to place our confidence in our eyes. Jesus turns things upside down from what we would normally expect. The disciples were getting caught up in that adage, seeing is believing. But when it comes to Jesus, it has to be different. It has to be believing is seeing. It is as if Jesus was looking into the future, to our day and beyond, where people do not want to believe what they cannot see. It speaks to every generation that is looking for watertight proofs that Jesus really rose again from the dead before they would believe. But thanks be to God, because of this post-resurrection appearance, we have incontrovertible evidence about the resurrection. The disciples did see him and believe. Skeptical Thomas did see him and believe. And then he worshipped him. He confessed the truth about Jesus, my Lord and my God. The real Jesus, true man and also true God, is our Lord and God too. You have the evidence, and you have the advantage of the written word of God. You are in the great company of those who have not seen and yet have believed. But that great company still consists of people who have fears. Think about your life for a moment. What are your fears? Maybe you have none, but I doubt it. Since you are human, you do have fears. 
Fear is so pervasive among humans, even for Christians, even for the disciples on Easter, even for you after Easter. We know what our fears are. Jesus assures us that he has not abandoned us even when our fears would suggest otherwise to us. Jesus knows our fears too. And even though he may not take all our fears away completely, he steps into them with us. He calms our fears. What he said to the disciples three times in our reading, he says to you, peace be with you. He replaces our fears with his peace. Sometimes we forget that and let fear get the upper hand. We may experience fear suddenly. Sometimes the fear is irrational. In all of those situations, Jesus comes to us. He's still with us today. He walks through your physically and spiritually locked doors of fear too and replaces them with his peace. He wants you to remember his perfect love for you. He wants that to bring you comfort and calm in spite of your fears. When Jesus says, peace be with you, it is not a psychological gimmick to calm down your nerves. Peace be with you assures you that you are in a state of reconciliation with God. We note again that it took one week for Jesus to appear again in the midst of the disciples who were still behind locked doors. You see, their fears wasn't gone completely. They were disciples, but they were still human. So they needed Jesus all the time. So do we. As Christians, we need to encounter Jesus regularly. When we are afraid, we don't need to hide it. We take our fears to Jesus in prayer and into his word that he has made available to us in the Bible. I cannot promise you that because you believe Christ is risen, any and all fears that you have will simply melt away. But I can promise you this, that in spite of whatever fears you may have, Christ is still for you. In the midst of your fears, he walks beside you. In spite of what your fears, real or imagined, might be, Christ is still risen. Christ is still your own, or rather, you are still his own. He is still the best thing that has happened to you. He is still the one, the one and only, who will one day return, breaking through graves and ashes and oceans, putting you together in a whole new body, fit to live forever, with absolutely nothing to fear again, ever. Because Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.